0: You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm super excited as I always am, but this is a really good friend I'm going to be speaking with today. I would like to introduce you to Kim Boudreaux-Smith, who is passionate about helping women find and use their bold voices. <coughs> a born entrepreneur with 25 years as a leader in corporate America, Kim rocks as showing female entrepreneurs and high-performing professional women how to develop their speaking confidence, level up their presence, and increase their profitability. Welcome to the show, Kim.
1: Thank you so much, Kristen, for having me here. I appreciate that.
0: So I had the opportunity to meet Kim in 2020 when we were both part of a mastermind program with Alexia Vernon, and we are continuing to work together. Uh, But Kim was one of those people. We sometimes get lucky and we get to meet these soul sisters. And as soon as we started talking to each other, we immediately connected. So while we've been friends for two years, it really feels like we've been friends for two decades.
1: Indeed. I couldn't agree with you more. And what a blessing us stepping into uh, Lex's uh, mastermind and meeting each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And at a time where there was a lot going on in the world too, you know, global pandemic had just started and it was the fall after that. And it was nice to be able to have a a grounding place to come together with a group of women who, um, who, uh, who all just wanted to work and support one another.
1: Yes, we have a very, that whole group, we have a very special connection in the middle of a global pandemic, I mean, literally quarantine, we were inching out of quarantine when we all came together. And the connection amongst all of us has just been amazing. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Kim, I want to give other people the our audience an opportunity to get to know you better. So talk to us about your journey and you can start wherever you want. But some of the poignant moments on your pathway that got you to where you are today doing this amazing work?
1: Well, I can recall when I was younger, I was always the child, the girl, the little girl that was out on the sidewalk organizing hopscotches and Mother May Eyes. I just dated myself with hopscotch and Mother May Eyes. Organizing all of that and races because when I was younger, I was very. And, and had long legs, so I would bet all the neighborhood kids a nickel every time to race them, and they fell for it every I time. Mean, I would beat them, and I, you know, they'd have to pay me a nickel or a penny or whatever we were doing back then. But <laughs> when I was in the midst of doing all of that, I can recall like my father would open up the door and go, "Lower your voice, Kim. You sound bossy. You have a big mouth," you know, or my mom, well, you know, would say the same thing. Or like when I was in elementary school. When I would in class, when I'd start to get a little, um, you know, the energies would hype up, you know, when kids are going and stuff like that, I would be pulled off to the side. You have a big mouth, you know, you're bossy, you know, settle it down. So there was that. And so I took that uniform on, so to speak. I wore that like my favorite pair of athletic yoga pants, those buttery soft pants, and took that into my very, very successful corporate career and sat at tables being the only woman with all men, never even heard of the word imposter syndrome, didn't have any female mentors back then, climbing my way up very successfully in corporate, but I made sure I did not open up my mouth to sound too bossy or the other B word um, bitchy. And let's just get that out of the air and we don't need to come back and use that word again. that, that was something where I held myself back and would not speak my truth in corporate. So I crashed. I mean, I would be crashing in bathrooms, tears, not getting everything that I fully um, desired. So I stepped away from corporate, started my first business. This was, gosh, a long time ago and still was holding myself back. I was living what I felt society as a business owner was supposed to show up. So in other words, I was in hyper desperate mode all the time, wanting the business, got to work, grinding, pounding, couldn't say this, have to show up this, you know, button up nice and tight and show up a specific way. And it really, you know, took it took me down. It really took me down and just finally had some aha wake up moments.
0: Wow. Wow. I mean, I, unfortunately it's a story that I, I hear way too often. Um, and it can be lots of different places, the conditioning, it's the cultural conditioning, it's sometimes family of origin. Other times it's teachers. I know I experienced it sometimes with teachers and not even sometimes it was like strangers or friends of parents of other kids who were saying those messages and, and, and we get it. And then, so for all of those years in corporate, so when was that time? What was the catalyst that you started to recognize? Hmm, this isn't feeling so good for me anymore. And you started to change that story around owning your voice.
1: Well, my first business is a fitness business, and I've always loved teaching high impact aerobics. I So I had the attitude, if you jumped this high three times a week, can you imagine if you jumped this high 20 <laughs> times a week, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah. I got energy. Meanwhile, it was undiagnosed uh, anxiety. So um, I was having lunch one day with a friend of mine here locally, who was also a fitness trainer. And I'm like, you know what? I I'm like, I'm insane. I'm out of control behind closed doors. I felt like uh, what was it? The exorcist where her head would spin with <sighs> anxiety, And plus I'm like in the greatest shape. Cause I'm teaching spinning classes. I'm working now and I'm a fitness trainer and you know, I'm all power driven and all this and that. But yet crashing, fatigued, you know, at the end of the day, barely could climb the stairs. So she introduced to me, um, uh, this nine month healing journey for women. That is a local, um, thing here in the Detroit area. And, you know, and she said to me, she goes, it's a weekend women's retreat. And my attitude was, oh, oh, okay. Where is it? I don't care how much I'll go. I, Cause I, I knew I needed something. And then at that time, she also recommended, a, um, a female, um, therapist uh, and, Off onto my journey, I went. And that journey, I remember having to fill out like paperwork, you know, like a stack of paperwork, like what's your why? Why are you entering this? I mean, there, I mean, a lot of the, all these questions, like, you know, drinking, drug, all this stuff. And one of the things was my why, Kristen, all I wanted was peace within me. I just Mm -hmm. wanted peace within me because I was constantly Driving on I- internally, going, going. I mean, inside, you know, just constantly going. And I'll uh, it, to a long answer to your question. That one afternoon, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Sunday afternoon, we were walking the land. I'm journeying with 18 other women, and you're not allowed to speak it. They've you a know, silence at this point. You know, we came in out of social silence and stuff. And it was starting to rain here in Michigan. And I thought, oh, I'll go inside and sit by the fireplace and do some journaling, right? So before I took the step towards the building, I looked up to the sky, and i, I didn't say this out loud. I said within my and myself, "Oh God, I beg you, peace within inside of me, please. I'm begging you. I'll do anything." And before I took the step towards the cabin, uh, something caught my eye in the ground, and the gra- it, the ground was half grass, half dirt. So I'm like, "Ah, oh, it must be a really pretty rock." So I bent over, and I took my fingernail to chip this thing out. And it was a peace sign charm.
0: <laughs> wow! Yeah,
1: oh, yes, yeah. I wore the charm around my neck for the longest time, and then my husband—I don't have it on today. My husband replaced it with a beautiful um, peace sign necklace. That um, actually, it's upstairs. It needs to get fixed, but that was my first eye opening of um, that bold voice and that transparency and being so clear and authentic so imperfectly and and messy but I will tell you that evening when I left the retreat I still was not ready to step in
0: yeah yeah and I think that's you've been just recognizing I think sometimes people it makes it very black and white it's like okay now I need to take all of this action sometimes it looks like a lot of different baby steps to get you to that place where you feel comfortable you know I like to say How many years of conditioning did it get you to that place that you're not all of a sudden most often, I mean, sometimes people just have these moments where it just all shifts, but in general, it's like, there was some awareness. The fact that you even were open to seeing that and being able to look at that sign and recognize it's telling you something already shows me that you were open to starting to hear some of those messages that were here for you.
1: Yes, yes. It was was time. It was getting clearer. It still took a little bit more clarity. And and you know the other part from when you and I were in Vegas in September, my five-minute mock-up TED Talk was falling asleep at the light. That was the other big, big aha moment where I was ready to really step into introspective work. And I'm still doing it. I think I will, I don't think, I know I'll be doing this until I leave this physical human body suit that I'm wearing and it's imperfect. And you know, cause you're my own, one of my beautiful um, hold space, go to um, person. You know, you're my, my special case sister and it's imperfect. And literally being able to embrace the imp- imperfection cause I'm a recovering perfectionist. Always had to look perfect. Always had to look like I had everything going on because if I didn't, no one would accept me. It was a story that I had. It's a story. And that story still lingers. I'm more aware of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think some people don't recognize even with perfectionism, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert. I heard her talking in an interview is that even using the word perfectionism, we almost use it as a glamorous way, but underneath it, the the perfectionism is fear, right? There's fear that's driving the behavior. And there was a part of you that felt like if you were to just go out there and be your authentic self, to not be striving to prove yourself, to be worthy, to be enough, that somehow It wouldn't be okay, like that you wouldn't be taken care of, that you wouldn't be safe.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that comes from a lot of societal conditioning, thinking, you know, that look, again, I'm not big into the labels, but for lack of time that we have here, you know, it's that imposter and not feeling good enough. So I impostored it up, so to speak, so that I would be the person that if you are leading a baseball team, you would pick me to be on your team type, you know, analogy type. Thing. And yes. that's, you know, that's one of the biggest things because I'm asked constantly, what is a bold, how do you be authentic? Well, a bold voice and being authentic and, and our coach, we can even bring in her word moxie this, we can't drive to a store to buy this stuff. It's one day at a time. Sometimes for me personally, it's moment to moment to really not embrace my authenticity, but that boldness.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where i like to take you next, because I think this is something where we see, uh, I see it with working with a lot of leaders and and organizations and a a lot of women who have worked their way of the organization, I tend to work with a lot of driven, ambitious, goal oriented uh, women, which is great, where uh, it's not to say that that's a bad thing. But sometimes what's driving it underneath it can allow them or not allow them, but take away the peace, which ultimately they're actually looking for. And so when you start to think about women owning their voices more in, in, in corporates and, and let's be honest, they're whole people. So when they're owning their voice in corporate, it's owning their voice in their families. It's owning their voice in their community and all conversations. What does that start to look like?
1: Well, it's it's such a beautiful, miraculous thing that I personally get to experience when I'm coaching someone like that. And it's they start to begin to feel safe with themselves. So you know, and I, I again I'm I, no comparison here, but I know you and I thrive in that sacred environment and holding space for our clients. And by the way, and try to pull that into marketing words, right, you know, you know, as business owners, but it's watching them to be able to sit back and it's like their shoulders come down, you know, and little by little, that expectation and that stress starts rolling off. And it's the expectation and the stress that they place onto themselves. And it's so fun and it's really cool to watch them go and tackle something first of all pre rehearse role playing safe pre rehearse cuz it's always about a pre rehearsal but then to walk onto the stage room or whatever you want to call it and to really step forth owning those sensations and speaking up whether it's sharing their idea leading a better meeting a presentation whatever that may be for them or a, a bold daring conversation with a loved one uh, any of that areas and for them to do it once it's like the shot of b12 confidence and the cup just goes from being depleted so to speak to overflowing and it's such to see that in a human being is such a that's that's miracles I mean that's not work of me as a coach that is miraculousness and to get to experience that I love it I love it
0: Yeah. And I think also it's, there's, they've gone to a place where there's a readiness, right? There's a willingness to go into that discomfort and do things differently. And, And, and then you're that catalyst to help get them to that place. And you know one of the things that i hear a lot of when i'm talking to leaders is they ask me so like what does that look like exactly to show up with assertiveness because i think we we hear that word assertiveness and you know they not want, wanting to show up with aggression and not going the other way where they're not being direct and being able to say what they need to say um two pieces i love to talk to you about one is that really owning that assertiveness and then another thing that's connected to that is i hear this a lot with leaders is what does it look like to manage up, right? Because a lot of times they're needing to have conversations in order to move things forward. And that's around doing that could be their leaders and who they report into, or even another layer up or peers. And so talk to me a little bit about those, both of those pieces, assertiveness and managing up.
1: You know, the assertive part, and I, that by the way, assertiveness is one of my favorite words, because I don't like the other a word aggression. And I believe And let's even just come out of the organizations that um, you're very much involved in and that I I have both uh, entrepreneurs and uh, organizations. When we feel like whether we're at work or at home with kids, uh, a partner, maybe a best friend and we're on the edge and we feel we need to control or we need to really spew things out that to me is we're inching over to that aggression side. Now, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kim Scott, radical candor. There is a time and a place in how to be a non-aggressive and to be in that assertiveness, especially as a manager. I mean, we, there's going to be times we have to maybe call a person out, but how do you call them back in is assertiveness. Yeah. And to assert... From a compassionate side, which that means if we have a male um, leader listening in right now, who wants to become more of this, a conscious heart centered leader, that means getting in tune with your feminine energy and coming out of that masculine, but knowing how to dance the thread, both the masculine and the feminine, by the way, I'm going to lead into my microphone. Everybody has masculine and feminine energy, but when we are leading from the feminine side. That's our heart, our intuitive. And then maybe we have to bring in a little bit of the masculine piece. We're in an assertive piece. We're we're assertive, we're assertive. And if, again, if we're coming from compassion, like Kim Scott talks about, there, there won't be that harm. There may be some feelings in some situations hurt, but it's not that harming. And then managing up. Oh my God, those are my favorite. I love working with clients that are getting ready to manage up. And I love those words, by the way, Kristen, managing up. I'm going to be borrowing those from you. Is Sure, when we're talking to our team and being team leads and people that report to us, but yet in turn, we have to go to the people that we report to or even another level up. It's so important to do pre-stage rituals, I'll say, before you go into those conversations. Whatever that's like, there's so many things that we could be doing, there's no one right toolkit, you have to learn what's going to work for you. And to being able to sit down and do some breathing so that you're grounded, even though those energies can get pretty intense in some of those conversations, and to be able to lean in and really speak your truth from that, again, from that compassionate side, assertively, not aggressively. And many, many, many years ago when I was in corporate, that's all those conversations were, were aggression. And that aggression came towards me as being the only woman in the room.
0: Yeah, it's like bullying. Yeah, I you know, I think what you said is so important. And of course, we have lots of males that are listening on to this conversation. And I'm so glad that you brought this up around, because I think there's there's preconception, sometimes that it's all of one or all of the other. And that's not what we're saying, right. And I, I love the way you describe assertiveness, because I say that, too. I say, listen, you're bringing in the compassion, yet you're also being direct, you're saying what needs to be said, but underneath it is a level of compassion, empathy. So that person does feel heard and seen and taken care of as you're communicating what you're communicating. And I I know Kim Scott actually was quite mortified when she saw people taking her work of radical candor and using too much of it, all of it, and more of the aggressive side that was, oh, well, radical candor gives us permission to just say whatever we want to say without making that person feel seen, heard, cared for, brought into the conversation because it was like a free reign permission and it, it was being completely misinterpreted. And I know when she rewrote the new version of the book, she made sure to really communicate what that means, that there's always the kindness underneath the directness and and to me where it borders into aggressiveness is you we all know what that feels like that as a person is giving us that direct whether that's feedback or whether that's a conversation and sharing um that person sharing how they feel how we feel when that person is making us feel like they still care about us with whatever that whatever we're saying
1: Yes. And, you know, and I, I just reopened up Kim Scott's book uh, just recently. So this is real fresh on my mind and you're right. I mean, she will say radical candor is not giving you the entitlement of being a jackass. And she does that in her book, she typed it out, says it multiple times. And she, then she used a when she was just really getting into the throes of Silicon Valley in her management role, she had a gentleman working for her and who kept coming up short, but was really good at, with his reputation and everything. And as a manager, she didn't want to say anything to him. So he would leave the room and she would take his work and fix it for him on top of all her other responsibilities. When it became too much, it was time for her to terminate him. He was blindsided. He's like, I didn't see this coming. So that is, you know, I, I believe Radical candor, especially if you're in management and you are part of a termination processes, if you can terminate someone where they walk out and maybe in the moment, yes, there are some sensations of going on, but an hour or two or a week or two later that they can look back at that manager and say, I've learned a lot, thank you so much for doing this. And, and almost buy that manager flowers, that person did a damn good job in that termination situation.
0: What you're bringing up is so important because that's about bringing your humanity into it. And unfortunately, over the global pandemic, there's been scenarios over and over that have shown lack of humanity with the way things were being delivered and, and what's possible. I remember working with a leader who said he was feeling bad about the fact where he's, he's had a couple of different times where he let someone go and he teared up. And I said, Never, never stop doing that. That is the most beautiful thing. That's your humanity. That's the compassion and empathy and connection for that person in front of you. For you to wake up and be having those conversations and to not feel emotion with another human being and having that kind of interaction. I'm concerned if that's not happening. And, and, but again, it's the, the the going the other way with some of the messaging around toxic masculinity. Right. And it was like, well, that's somehow me not being a good leader that I'm showing emotion. And I said, it's, it's exactly the opposite. And that person, just like you said so beautifully, Kim, they are always going to remember how you made them feel when you had that interaction and they saw those tears in your eyes, and um, I, I think our, my invitation always to everyone, yeah, there are going to be times where difficult conversations need to happen, and I think when you gave that example of radical candor, it's also reminding me of some times where. Leaders just they knew that they knew there were performance concerns. They kept on trying, they're coaching at different angles over and over again. But ultimately you can't do the work for that person if you keep on coaching and they're not coachable and they're not willing to do things differently that's where that assertiveness to keep on doing it and not and not taking accountability or not telling that person, you know what, I don't think you're the right person for our team. You're actually sending a very clear message to everybody else on that team because you're continuously tolerating that behavior. Yes.
1: And, you know, and I wonder with all of that, too, how much that is brought into parenting with children as well. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's I'm not a parent. But I'm sure there is some of that that is implemented. That's I'll just throw this out here. I mean, it's not a conversation. I'm not a big work-life balance person. I'm going to talk about integration and yeah. how we um, dance things and negotiate. It's like playing chess. But I'm very curious as how that also shows up in parenting styles as well.
0: Absolutely, and I mean a lot of therapists. You'll hear them say that you're most often in parenting, or you're modeling what you saw, or quite often trying to do exact opposite <laughs> of what you saw. And it's a lot of times it's getting to this equilibrium, right? Finding this harmony. What does it look like to sometimes bring it more to the middle ground when we start to go to either of the extremes? Kim, when you start to think about organizations and creating environments that are really supporting women and men, because you know what, there's going to be some men that are listening to this conversation, and it's about them owning their voice, or sometimes even um, we talk a lot about like circling forward and circling back, sometimes it might be part of their owning their voice is actually um, amplifying and giving the mic to somebody else and actually taking a step back. What can organizations be doing more of to create a fertile ground for more of this to be happening?
1: Well, first of all, I do believe there needs to be more safe and sacred environments. You know, open, open conversations. I know, um, you know, management levels—they've got it coming at them every which way, but loose. Um, and sometimes they're human. You know, these are human beings, and sometimes there can be a slip. But what I would love to see management sit down with teams and say, "Hey, just how is it going?" Number one and number two especially for men because it we are and it's still a very male dominated dominated um, industry in corporations and organizations is these men yes need to not quiet it down but maybe pull it back And like you said hand the mic not necessarily pull a chair out for a woman to sit next to because you know what we are capable of pulling our chairs out but how about sitting down and going I'm not going to move any forward, further until we, Talk about this and pointing to their female counterpart or their female team lead or the female on their team. And this is how we're going to take that equity gap and make it less. It'll never be perfect. And I'm not shooting for perfection, but make it less. And the third thing that a lot of these orgs can do is if they are sitting there wanting women to get into these emerging leaders, into these leadership roles, then damn it, bring people in out outside resources, Yes. To help support them and train them to create them, you know, with their self worth and their confidence to step into those roles. And the reason why I say outside resources is because again, it's that safe environment where someone can loosen up the tie, take off the hat, whatever, and let, let their hair down. So to speak, and not have to be in performance, but because they're in the environment.
0: Yes, I think that's so important. If you're saying that you're making a strong statement that you really want to support more female leadership and helping them be able to navigate, especially where sometimes women leave the workforce and then come back in, and there can be so much guilt and all of these different things around. Um, their unique experience. It's like, what does it look like to provide the resources and invest in them in this way so that they can be getting the support. And then I also love with, if there's more leadership development programs for other female leaders, then they also get to learn from one another. They can share, they feel less alone because I think sometimes, you know, a VP over here and then a director over here, are feeling like, well, it's just me. Other people don't feel this way, but they're actually having the same challenges same fears and they can learn from one another.
1: Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. And the, I mean that what you just said is completely priceless and I would love to see this completely removed is so people especially men too are not feeling alone. You know, whether it's like, you know, executive P over here, director over here, whatever the case may be, having those groups where they can come together and, you know, again, let their hair down and you know, hey, did you think about this? And how about it, just that supporting environment because I know, you know, the analogy is, the expression is, you know, it's lonely at the top. Well, not really. It's what society has pounded into our heads when we are CEOs of companies and VPs and stuff. We take that on from that story that's been put out there. It is lonely at the top. And, you know, and for women, I believe it can be very lonely at the top because again, We are supposed to be showing up a specific way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm such a big believer of community and having trusted people that you can share experiences with and um, get feedback. And it's making me think as we're talking about this one that I, I see a lot as well when it comes to negotiating whether that's negotiating in an interview and for a position, whether that's negotiating, you're already in and you're being promoted, whether that's negotiating for, I have some leaders. I'm like, you should be going in there negotiating to get your coaching paid for, like in order for you to be able to be set up for success and support teams where you sometimes have a million, $10 million budget. It's, it's a good investment. And, and, and it's interesting where I've even had the difference between men and women and hearing what the, the man has negotiated for in his interview process, and what the female has interviewed has has uh, negotiated for, which is sometimes nothing. Just like, oh, this all looks great. Um, and I also explain that sometimes negotiating isn't just about the salary. It can be negotiating for more time off. It can be negotiating for having a month off every two years and taking a sabbatical. There's lots of different ways you can be negotiating. Um, how can women, and again, this is an inclusive environment and there's going to be some men who relate to this as well. How can they set themselves up for more negotiating for what they deserve?
1: It's a great question. It just recently, my husband's company brought in a gentleman to talk about the art, I think it was the art of negotiation. And so my husband Steve came home and he goes, I want to share this with you. And it was a good presentation. It showed me the slide deck and everything, you know, because that was their takeaway and stuff. Then this gentleman said, There's only one winner in negotiations, and that is not true. A negotiation walks away with um, it is a twofold, it is a win-win situation. And it, that's what negotiation is, is just because maybe there's something on a table of, well, sure, I wanna negotiate more time off per year um, so that I can go and revive and recharge or whatever the case may be, or I need to negotiate uh, uh, something that's on my plate at work because I'm too overwhelmed and how can we come to it? In, in that That's the beginning standpoint. That's the start of the negotiation It's allowing that space for the back and forth of the ideas so that when the negotiation and the conversation is completed, both people are walking out fulfilled. It might not be the original what they see, Mm. but they're walking out fulfilled. And the other piece of walking into any type of these um, bold, daring, high stakes conversations of negotiations is We need to learn how to remove ourself from it, so to speak, you know, like I'm going in and this is what I'm going to get. And it's all about me. No, it's, it's a two way. It's a dance. It's a give and take. And the goal is for both people to be walking out, feeling very fulfilled.
0: Yes. I'm all for the win-win situations, uh, and the win-win scenarios. And I, I like what you said there. I sometimes will have clients they're like, I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm like, okay, let's pull you out for a second. You're talking to your best friend. She just gave you this scenario. What are you going to tell her? And they're like, oh, I would say, and say uh, all the different things. Okay. So perhaps we will take what you just suggested to your best friend and apply it to yourself. It's interesting how we can get, um, I mean, again, rejection, right? And there's this feeling we get the, all of the emotions start to show up that I'm somehow going to get rejected. And I like what you said there. It's already the mindset around how am I going to even approach this, right? Oh, I'm, I am I want to look at like, what's a way that we can make it so that we both win? What's yeah. a way that I can show up from a place of curiosity where I can show up from a place of openness where there's some creative brainstorming happening? Wow, that feels when I hear that, Kim, I think let's go have a negotiation right now, because it feels so much more empowering, because it isn't around, okay, I need to go in and I need to fight for. And I need to push my way through and I need to make sure I get what I want already. That energy isn't really creating spaciousness for possibilities.
1: No, it is it, just starting to shut things down. And then again, we're bringing in that inner critic, that mindset of that drudgery and that baggage before we even get to the conversation. And then I promise everybody that is listening Whether you think you have that managed or not, especially if you do not, it will come out some way or another, whether it comes through our pores, whether it's something in a word or two, whether it's our body languaging, and that brings the energy into that, that conversation into the room. And then two people walk out and they're not, they haven't reached that negotiation of that fulfillment, that win together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just even setting an intention Mm -hmm. before you go into that and and being open. So Kim, I knew that this conversation would go by really quickly. Um, As we start to wrap up, a couple of things. One is I like to give people an opportunity to to leave a final thoughts. But even before we get into the final thoughts, um, and this might be connected depending on where you go, you know, women who are listening to this conversation, if you could wave a magic wand, And give them what you want to give them in terms of helping them to really to step into that voice. What do you want to offer to them?
1: Gosh, what I, so my, so uh, my final words here with the, in fact, it's, it's funny you say that because I do have a magic wand. I use with clients here on my desk, you know, here's from the bottom of my heart and all hearts of hearts is knowing that you are more than just okay in this moment. You are wonderful in this moment and keep drinking from that cup of increasing the self-worth and the confidence and that what you bring to any room, stage, table, whatever you wanna call it, is worthy. It's, we need to hear this. Even though you may say it and you don't think anyone is listening, trust me, people are listening. But we have to have ourselves managed, not controlled, not handled, managed to be able to go in to environments like that to really say how it is.
0: Yeah, so important. Such wise, wise words, Kim. Where can people learn more about you and your work?
1: Well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Kim Boudreau Smith, B-O-U-D-R-E-A-U Smith. Or you can hop on over to my website at KimBSmith.com.
0: Amazing. Thank you, my friends, so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. And for everybody, wherever you are in the world, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending tons of love. Bye bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.